I'm beginning a new series this morning called Supernatural Christianity. How many of you believe that Christianity is supernatural? Come on, let me ask that again. How many of you believe Christianity is supernatural? I, I believe that this morning. So take your Bibles, go to the book of Matthew, the 10th chapter. And as you're doing that this morning, I want to welcome all of you uh, who are joining with us today in our campuses. Uh, I am Eddie Couples. I'm the lead pastor of Love and Truth Ministries. And we're glad that you are with us today. We're praying that God will minister to you, that he will touch you, that he will empower you by his power and by his spirit today. Now, how many of you are glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Now, I'm having a little technical difficulty, guys, because I have nothing on this screen down here. All right, so I have to take care of that real quickly. So, y'all, somebody help me right here real quick. Thank you. All right, Matthew, the 10th chapter, verse 5, uh, says this. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter into a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Would you say that with me? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Come on, let's say that again. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you believe that this morning? I, I mean, I believe that the kingdom of heaven is here right now. Then he goes on to say, here's what he told him to do. He said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Wow. Freely you have received and freely give. Now think about this for a minute. This is the mandate. This is, the, this is where Jesus is getting ready to send out his disciples. Can you imagine us calling people together and, and we've, we've, now, we've taken them through the class series and we've, we've taken them through all the things and then we say, okay, here's your mandate for today. You ready? Here's what you're going to do from today. We're going to send you out. And here's what you're to do. You're to heal the sick. You, you may read it from the Bible, make you feel better. You're to heal the sick. You're to cleanse the lepers. Oh, by the way, we want you to raise some dead people. Cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Now, now here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Christianity's mandate. All right, what is the mandate that Jesus Christ has given to us? He, he's given us this instruction. He has given us what he wants us to do. And yet what we find is, is that we find the church is in the business of a lot of things that Jesus didn't tell us to be in. Jesus never told the church to be in chicken dinner business. Jesus never told the church to be in the raffle business. Jesus never told the church to be selling stuff. Well, Hallelujah. Jesus told the church, here's what I want you to do. You have received freely. I want you to take what you have received, and I want you to give that. I want you to go about healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, raising dead people, and I want you to go forth, and I want you to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I want to tell you something. Before we can fulfill that mandate, we've got to settle some things. Because I can tell even this morning as I'm saying that I'm getting resistance already. It's kind of like, well, you've got to understand, that was the church in the first century. Really? Yeah. Have you ever read a little scripture that says, Jesus Christ the same? Yesterday, today, 
and what? Forever. He doesn't change. So if he told the first century church, this is what I want you to do, do you think he's changed his mind? I mean, has he come up with a new plan, a new focus, a new something that he, or, or has he got the same mandate for us today? But for us to do what God has called us to do, we've got to settle some things. And I, and I want to give you four things today that you have to settle if you really want to move in the supernatural power of Christianity. I believe this with all of my heart, that we have got to come to the place that we go back to our roots, we go back to the Bible, and we understand what it is that God said we were supposed to be doing. It's not enough just to read the Word. We need to be acting the Word. I mean, you, you know, you, you have uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the Gospels, but the very next book is the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles have not stopped. The Acts of the Apostles are still moving. The Acts of the Apostles are still going on. And we live, yes, we live in 2011. Yes, we're in a different day and a different time. But I want to tell you, God still has a mandate for the church, and that is for the church to be a supernatural entity that is impacting the world with the glory and the power of God. But if I am going to move in supernatural power, I've got to settle some things. First of all, I've got to settle that God is supernatural. I, I mean, I, I've, just got to, I've just got to come to that place. The book of Genesis uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You, you know what? What's interesting about the Bible is, is that it doesn't start off telling us why we ought to believe in the existence of God. The Word of God starts off just declaring, in the beginning, God created. Just letting you know, uh, John 4, 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. There's this whole aspect that we have to understand that this supernatural God that is upon this earth now dwelling in the life of believers one day stepped into the middle of nowhere on nothing street and said, let there be and there was. And when you begin to understand that, you, you begin to live a little differently. Uh, John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I, I just wanted to give you some scripture because I want you to get it today that God is supernatural. Do you really believe that? I mean, is your God so small that you've got him in a box? You know how he's going to respond. You know what he is going to do. You know how he's going to show up. Or is your God bigger than your box? Is your God bigger than your theology? Is your God bigger than your eschatology? Is your God bigger than all the hermeneutics of Scripture that sometimes you read the Scripture, but God supersedes the Scripture? You know, I, I'm going to say something, and, and, and some of you are going to get a little, a little tense when I say it, but some of us have become so biblically oriented that we have forgot to be God-oriented. Well, I don't find it in the Bible, brother. Do you know what? Before it was in the Bible, nobody could find it in the Bible. Do I need to break that down for you? Before Jesus ever walked on water, he couldn't go to the Old Testament and say, okay, here is three easy steps on walking on water. He just had to walk on water. Then we got it in the book. 
but it wasn't in the book till he did it. I mean, you, you didn't have how do you feed two to three million Israelites in the desert day in and day out. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Genesis says to do it with manna. We didn't know that. See, we, we said, well, I have to find it in the Bible. Do you realize, here we go. Are you ready? Do you realize God is bigger than your Bible? Do, do you realize that God supersedes the word that you're holding in your hand? Well, bless God, that's, that's the, wait, wait a minute, I'll get to the Bible in a minute. But we've got to establish today that, the, that the, when, when you begin to study the word of God, what you find is, is that the most fundamental teaching of the Bible is just that God exists. It just puts it out there. It doesn't explain to you how he came into being. It doesn't explain to you how he moves and up. It just says this is God and this is who he is. And your faith has to step up and say, you know what? I believe that God is alive. See, God is yesterday. God is today. And God is tomorrow. You're never going to show up where God isn't. The, the Word of God lets us know, and we, we have some great theological words that we use, that, that God is omnipotent. That means God is all-powerful. That God is omniscient. That means He is all-knowing. And that God is omnipresent. That means that He is everywhere all the time at the same time. Now, I want to tell you something. Uh, one of the writers in, in the Old Testament said, he said, even if I make my bed in hell, there's God. I mean, God just, he's just there. He is, he is that big. And so how do I know about this God? How do I understand this God? Well, uh, the, the, the first way that we understand God is through his creation. Have you ever looked at creation? How many of you have ever seen mountains? Have you, have you ever seen great valleys? Anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? Why? It's just a big old hole in the ground, Right? I mean, have, have you ever been to a desert? Anybody ever seen a desert? Why? Just a bunch of sand and dead stuff, right? I mean, why, why is all this stuff out there? You ever been to the ocean? Again, why? It, it's just, you know, I mean, the, the, there's always water out. What good is it? it it's salty. It's, we can't, you know, it's just out there. What, what is all this about? It is because God is so much bigger. Do, do you realize that in the scripture it says that God said, let there be, and there was. And what, what scientists are telling us now is that, that the universe is continually forming. The, the, every, every time that they think that they've got to the outer limit of, of whatever they can see through whatever telescope or satellite that they send out, then, then they find out that the world is still, uh, that, that the universe is still creating. It, it is still becoming larger and bigger. Why? Because God said, let there be. He never did say, let there stop. Oh. See, that's how big God is. That's how supernatural God is. That when God, and, and you're serving that kind of God, but you've got a two-by-four mentality of what God can do. You've got a God that just speaks things into existence, but then you run up against a problem and you start looking for everybody but God. Well, hallelujah. See, you have to settle, first of all, that God is supernatural if you want to be a Christian who is supernatural. The second thing you've got to settle that's supernatural is that the Bible is supernatural. 
Now, I know I, know I kind of upset some of you a while ago when I talked about God being bigger than the Bible, but he is. That doesn't take away from the Word of God. 2 Peter 1.21 says this, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Hebrews says it this way. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. That's the Word of God. Have you ever read the Word of God and all of a sudden it was like it pierced right inside of you? That's what the Bible says that it does. You say, well, I, I don't believe the Bible. There's contradictions in the Bible. Do you know every time that somebody thinks there's a contradiction, it's proven later they were wrong, not the Bible? Uh, archaeologists have for hundreds of years uh, said, well, there's certain cities that the Bible refers to that aren't there. And yet what they find is, is that every time they say that, that history does not prove what the Word of God says, give them a few years, give them a few hundred years, and all of a sudden they'll find that city that they said never existed. They'll find that person. They've said for years, well, King David did not exist. And then all of a sudden, a few years ago, they found an, an archaeological dig. They found something referring to King David. I, I mean, it's, it's time and time again. You can go study it time and time again. I know that there's the Christopher Hitchens and the idiots out there. In fact, the Word of God says they're fools. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Bill Maher is a fool. What, what do y'all get so nervous about? The Bible says that he is. The Bible says Christopher Hitchens and all those guys who say the Word of God contradicts itself and it, it's not. Wait a minute. The Bible says they're fools. I didn't say it. The Word says it. Why? Because when you study the Word of God, you know what? The Old Testament makes all kind of prophetic declarations about the Messiah. And when you begin to study all the declarations of the Old Testament and then you go to the life of Jesus, you find out that in minute detail, Jesus fulfills everything that the Old Testament said about the Messiah. In fact, I read something years ago. Uh, a mathematician said it this way. He said that for all of those to come to pass in, in one person's life is like covering the entire state of Texas in silver dollars, four feet deep, and putting an X on one of them, and putting it somewhere in the state of Texas, and then sending a blind man to have one chance to pick it out and to pick up the one coin that has the X on it. He said that it is in the hundreds of trillions that one person could fulfill all the prophetic declarations of the Old Testament. And yet, when you read the prophetic declarations of the Old Testament and you read the life of Jesus, Jesus fulfilled every one of them. I want to tell you the Bible is a supernatural book written over 1,600 years, 40 different writers, and yet when you begin to compare the manuscripts, you find out that there is no conflict from one writer to the next, that they all bear witness of the one truth of who God really is. I, I, I don't know about you, but those two right there just make me happy. 
I mean, I look at that and go, man, God is supernatural. His word is supernatural. What else do I need? But there's a couple of more. Look in the book of John, the third chapter. John chapter 3, verse 7 says this. Do not marvel that I said to you that you must be born again. You remember that encounter? You know, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. I like to say it this way. It's the first Nick at night that there ever was. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and says, he goes through this whole thing, and Jesus says, uh, uh, if you want to be saved, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus looks at him and says, I'm an old man. Have I got to enter in my mother's womb? He says, no, no, no. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. I want to tell you, salvation is supernatural. I mean, salvation is, it's a, you don't understand it. You can't get a mathematical formula for it. You just know that God has done it. The book of Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 8 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I, I want to tell you, I didn't do anything to get saved but just receive it. Well, you got you to do this. You gotta, no, no, no. No, Jesus paid it all. Jesus did everything that needed to happen. The only thing that I have to do is to receive his gift of salvation. And that is by grace, through faith, and neither one of those are of me. The Bible says both of those are a gift of God. So God's grace sent Jesus, and then God imparts faith into your life so that you can believe and get saved. I mean, what, what more can we want, ladies and gentlemen? What greater thing is there than to know that Jesus Christ brings salvation? People say, well, I'm thankful to be saved today. I'm thankful I'm going to heaven. Do you realize that there is so much more to salvation than just going to heaven? The, the word there is, is soteria. It's spelled S-O-T-E-R-I-A for salvation. And here's what the word soteria means. It means wholeness. It means health, it means freedom from affliction, and it means that we are saved from death and sin. I'll go real slow, because I don't want you to miss this. There's more to salvation than fire insurance. You understand fire insurance? Well, I don't want to go to hell, I better get saved. So we take out a policy. I believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And we sign our name on the dotted line and we pay dues, call it tithes, to keep our, to keep our policy in place. No, no, no. Listen, salvation is wholeness. It's health. It's freedom from affliction. It's saved from death and sin. I, I, that's good news, people. I mean, you, you can't get any better news than that. The Word of God lets us know that I was saved, so it's past tense. Then the Bible says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship one with another, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth. That's present tense. So I was saved. I am now saved. And then the Word of God lets me know that one day in the future I will be saved. So salvation is past it's present, and it is future. One day, I'll go home to be with Jesus where there's no more sickness, no more sin, no more suffering, no more death. All of the former things, the Bible says, will be passed away, and behold, all things will become new. That's salvation. 
So I, I'm walking in salvation. Somebody said, are you saved? Yes, but not yet. <laughs> I'm saved right now, and I'm going to be saved down the road. But I'm walking in the power of justification. You know, the, the, the great reformer Martin Luther, uh, reading the Word of God as he's doing horrible penance and going through all this thing, trying to work himself in, into a place of salvation, read the Scripture where it said, and the just shall live by faith. He goes, wow, the just shall live by faith. I'm justified. Why am I down here doing, crawling on my knees till my knees are bloody trying to get God to love me? And he started what's called the Reformation. And you're part of that reformation whether you know it or not. Because without Martin Luther, the church would still be one church, the Catholic church. But Martin Luther saw justification. That word justification, simplest way to understand it, is just as if I'd never sinned. You may see stuff in my life, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, it's just as if I've never sinned. That's good news. That's supernatural news. I, I, I can't buy that. I can't do that. That is justification. And then there's a word called sanctification. I'm justified, but then I'm sanctified. What is sanctification? That's what the Bible talks about, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's moving into becoming more and more like Jesus. That's moving from a, a place of turning my life over to God and now falling in love with God and living in obedience to his word. How many of you found out that the day you got saved, you still had some junk in your life, right? Sanctification is dealing with the junk as you move more and more in love with God. The Word of God tells us, I read it to you just a moment ago, that we receive this by grace through faith. The Apostle Peter called it repentance. On the day of Pentecost, when there's this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, people come from everywhere. The Apostle Peter gets up and preaches Jesus, and they go, what shall we do? He said, repent. What does that mean? That means to change your mind and to change your direction. That's what repentance is, and that's how salvation comes into your life. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, it's going to happen in your life if you will make that transition of moving into everything that God has. But you know what? Let me, let me close with this. Christianity is supernatural. I really believe that this life that we are called to is a supernatural life. Galatians 2.20 says it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a supernatural life. John 14, uh, verse 12 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Now, that's great. Did, did, have you ever read what Jesus did? Pretty cool stuff. Water to wine, lepers cleanse, deaf hear, mute speak. I mean, it, on and on and all, all these things. These things he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. The Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 
You know, I looked up that word anything. You know what that word anything means? Anything. No, it really does. Anything. Whatever you ask, anything in his name, he'll do it. I mean, if you remember reading the scripture in the book of Acts? We, we mentioned it a while ago. Uh, the, the word of God says that Peter and John one day on their way to prayer, seeing a certain lame man who'd been sitting at the gate beautiful for years. The lame man looks at them and says, could I have some money? And Peter says, my wife's got it all. All right, he said, silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus, what? Rise and walk. And the Bible says next week he kind of fumbled around. The Bible says instantly the lame man jumped up, leaping and running and praising God, ran into the temple and caused a riot because they didn't know what to do with it. I mean, think about that. that that's, that's what Christianity is about. I mean, there, there are other times Scripture says that, that they would lay the sick people on the streets and that the apostle Peter would just walk by and just his very shadow, come on. Do you know what? That's greater than Jesus. We never see Jesus' shadow healing. Uh-oh. Jesus spoke healing. Jesus laid hands for healing. But nowhere in Scripture does it say Jesus' shadow healed. But Peter's shadow healed. Paul sent out cloths that had been prayed over. And they took them to sick people. Sick people got healed. Guess what? I don't find in Scripture where Jesus sent out cloth. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that the things that Jesus did, not only did they do those things, greater things than this shall you do because I go to the Father. People always come to me after I preach a sermon like this or a series like this and say, well, but, you, you know, we don't have miracles anymore. Really? Well, you've got to understand that when the last apostle died, that there was no more healing. Really? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the church going, John is on the Isle of Patmos. Nobody knows where he's at or what he's doing. He's just out there. They've, uh, they've put him out there. They've abandoned him. They've left him out there. And, and you go to church on this Sunday, and everybody's getting healed. All the miracles are taking place. All the gifts of the Spirit are working. And you show up the next Sunday to have church, and you can't do any of it. And you go, wait a minute, last week we healed. And somebody goes, oh, you know what, I bet, I bet John died. Come on. Do you really think that? Study church history and you'll find that's not true. I mean, study the post-apostolic fathers. Study those men who came along. They, they performed miracles. The, the one thing that I will tell you about the Catholic church, the Catholic church at least still believes in miracles, much more than the Protestant church does. Right? Come on. People always say, well, you know, we're, we're past the, we don't need miracles anymore. Really? Are you kidding me? Have you looked at our world lately? Have you looked at your life lately? We don't need miracles. Do you know anybody that's addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography? They need a miracle. You know anybody who's sick and the doctors don't know what to do? They need a miracle. Do you know anybody who doesn't have what they need financially and they can't get it from the bank or their best friend? I want to tell you, they need a miracle. And you know what? God's still in the miracle working business. People come to me and I, I just say, wait a minute, let, let, me, let me just share with you what I know. See, because I grew up in Africa, 
And when you grow up in Africa, it just messes you up for America. I, I mean, you know, it just, you, you just can't be normal. But, but I, as a small child, I remember there's, the, there's a rainstorm where we lived in Liberia, where I was born, uh, that you have six months of rain and, and six months of dry. But it rained every day, horrendous thunderstorms. And one day there's this clap of, of thunder after a lightning bolt hits on the mission station. And all of a sudden, some of the young boys are running. We had, a, we had a school on the mission saying, some of the young boys are running to my father. And they're saying, uh, brother couples, brother couples, uh, Sister Groose is dead. Uh, Sister Groose was the other. Her name was Pauline Groose. She was the other missionary on the mission station. She was standing outside on her back porch with her hand on a propane tank. When lightning hit the propane tank, went into her body and instantly killed her. In fact, the, the story goes that her legs were drawn up past her ears. The, the lightning had been that powerful and it killed her. My father runs over. He kneels down and he said, here's his testimony. The only thing that I knew to say was Jesus. And he began to say the name of Jesus. And as he said the name of Jesus, all of a sudden, this dead woman who had been dead for several minutes by this time began, her body begins to release. She begins to pull her arms down, her legs go down, she begins to breathe. Her testimony, she lived to be in her 80s. Her testimony is this. She said, I felt my spirit leave my body. She said, I looked down and I saw my body laying on the ground and I was headed to heaven. And she said, I was so happy because she said, I knew. I was going home to be with Jesus and she said as I am going home to be with Jesus she said I felt a sense of peace that I have never felt in my life and she said I said Lord I'm coming home and she said when I said Lord I'm coming home she said God spoke and said I'm not finished with you yet and she said when God said that she said I heard brother couples going Jesus Jesus, Jesus. Now, I don't know. I got a ton of those. I had a little friend who I played with on the mission station. And, and I don't know if you know anything about carbide lamps, but he had this little carbide lamp, and he'd put a little water in it, and he'd throw it in the fire and make a pop. And one day he threw it in, and it exploded into his eyes. And they, they took him to the witch doctor first because that's what you do when you don't know Jesus. And the witch doctor put all this stuff in his face, and about five days later, they brought him to the mission station, and I don't want to be crude, but literally his, his flesh had begun to deteriorate badly. And they said, we need to get him to the hospital. Before they got him, took him to the hospital, my father and one of the, the men on the mission station laid hands on him, and they prayed over him. They took him to the, to the hospital. When they brought him in, the doctor peeled away all the stuff that the witch doctor had placed on him. And the, and the doctor said, this boy will be severely scarred. He will be blind the rest of his life. My father said, well, we've prayed for him. We believe God's a healer. Got in the plane, went back to the mission station. About two weeks later, went back to the clinic to find out what had happened. Sitting up on the bed, no scars. Eyes not blind was my little friend who God had completely healed. So I want to tell you, you've come along way too late. Because when you're born in that environment, you may have an argument, but I've got an experience. 
You may have a logical, theological persuasion, but I have already seen what God can do, and not just then. I have seen God over the past few years, even in this house, perform miracles in people's body. I watched just a couple of weeks ago as our interns laid hands on people in a prayer meeting, and I had people testifying that God had instantly healed them in a prayer meeting as we prayed over them. I want to tell you, I know that God is a supernatural God, and that Christianity is supernatural, and we've got to come to that place where we are believing for exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us.